Welcome to Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley, connecting capital and communities. In this show, we introduce you to people working to create transformative opportunities in multicultural communities. Our guests include entrepreneurs, investors, developers, and activists, all of whom give us tools that we might use as a playbook for providing capital to women in multicultural-owned businesses. I'm your host, Carla Harris. In the final episode of season one of Access and Opportunity, we will talk about why fairness matters and how leadership and influence can disrupt the status quo in an entire industry and provoke change for its future. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Frida Kapoor Klein about how she and her husband, Mitch Kapoor, are leading the charge of intentional inclusivity in the tech industry. Dr. Kapoor Klein is the founding partner at Kapoor Capital and the founder of the Kapoor Center for Social Impact. She has devoted her entire career to changing organizational culture and increasing diversity in Silicon Valley. She wholeheartedly believes, and she has shown through her investment decisions, that you do not have to give up attractive above-market returns in order to do good or to affect change, like diversity and inclusion in Silicon Valley. So thank you for being here with me today, Frida. I want to start from the beginning, because my guess is, growing up as a little Jewish girl in Mississippi, you didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a successful venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, just the same as I didn't wake up in Jacksonville, Florida, as a little black girl saying, I want to be a successful investment banker. So tell us, how did that happen? And tell us a little bit about this journey. Well, you're absolutely right. So first of all, who knew? We were right a couple states away. We could have been friends back (laughs) then, right? Uh, So you're absolutely right that that was a formative experience. So when we were living on the Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi, myself and my two older siblings and my parents, my brother, seven years old at the time, came home bloodied, beaten up for killing Christ. Wow. And I thought, whoa, what happened? I didn't, did my brother kill somebody? Who's Christ? Like, what? And it connected with lots of other pieces of my family's story. I knew that my mother had had several siblings that she never met because they were murdered in Russia before she was born. And I had seen my grandmother was trying to escape Russia with her children. My grandfather was already here working, sending money back. And a farmer let them try to escape under his hay, and they pitchforked it at the border. And so I remember the pitchfork marks in my grandma's back. And so I grew up thinking, none of us are free until all of us are free. Hmm. And so that's been a theme throughout my life, which is maybe when I'm three, it's my brother. But there's really an unbroken line between anti-Semitism and racism and homophobia and any other kinds of bias and stereotyping. And especially when people are marginalized, ostracized, and then subjected to violence. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that we have come full circle uh, with that mentality, understanding that if you have that kind of bias, 
it is definitely going to prohibit some type of success. And in this case, what we're talking about is commercial success, financial success. Because if you have a bias towards certain type of people, then you are by definition leaving out some really great ideas and therefore some great opportunities. Absolutely. Lots and lots of traditional investors leave the majority of the U.S. population, let alone the overwhelming majority of the international population, they leave all of that on the table. Mm-hmm. And investors shouldn't be leaving money on the table. Yes. Well said. Very well said. One of the things that I have learned, and I'm, I'm going to see if you have learned the same thing, is that in order to find the deal flow, which is mm-hmm. what venture capitalists and private equity folks really care about, in order to find the deal flow, you have to be a part of the ecosystem. That's right. Because what I heard before Morgan Stanley got into this business of finding these emerging companies and brought them into our innovation lab is whether you talk to the more established accelerators and incubators or those that are just becoming, they say you can't find any. But yet when we went out to ask people to consider being a part of our lab, we were overwhelmed with applications to be a part of. We could have chosen the next five classes from our first cohort. That's how many great companies came in. But I said to myself, the messenger must matter. It must matter who's asking, because why is everyone else saying you can't find any and we had no problem. So what have you found with respect to the deal flow? Have you found any trouble at all in, in finding the deal flow, getting into the deals, et cetera? None. Zero. Zip. So we get somewhere north of 3,000 deals a year. Wow. Uh, and some of them come in over the transom. And we like that. Most of Silicon Valley requires what's called a warm intro. And in fact, some of the big VCs have you know, been on the record saying, if you're not smart enough to get a warm intro, then I don't want to see you. And I think that's fundamentally racist. It's fundamentally sexist. It is fundamentally biased thinking because warm intros have nothing to do with smarts. They have everything to do with zip code. And access. Yes, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's where you grew up. It's who you know. And I don't know about anybody else, but unless you tell me that you chose the zip code you were born in, uh, then we're all in the same boat and we're all accidents of birth. Yes. So we've been running a summer associates program. My partner, Uliliana Vakpuri, came up with this brilliant idea years ago. This past summer, and our our Capor Capital Summer Associates have just left us after another great summer. We had more than 650 applicants for six slots. Wow. So again... I don't know why anybody says we can't find them. First of all, that's totally offensive. But it also suggests what the problem is, which is that you don't live in a diverse universe. If you don't know people of color, if you don't know people from different class backgrounds, then it says to us you are living in this little biased bubble. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you've got to do something to break out of it and demonstrate that you actually genuinely care. So let's have a playbook moment. There was a time when Kapoor Capital wasn't known in the ecosystem among multicultural and women entrepreneurs. How did you get entry into that ecosystem? Or how did you create a reputation where you were a safe place, where they should inquire about being a part of, of your ecosystem and thinking about you as a specific investor? 
Well, it's a great question, and, and I think that there were several strands that sort of knitted together, if you will. So one was that we'd been running these scholarship programs, and so these um, scholars were in our network. We had already hired them as interns or referred them out as interns. They were part of our personal and professional network. Um, and they did introductions to other people. Our philanthropy was disproportionately focused on low-income communities of color. So we met people in that way. And we funded some of the first things like NUMI Accelerator, some of the first uh, efforts. Uh, the other thing is we are Cape Or Capital, Cape Or Center, and SMASH. We are majority employees of color uh, and have been forever. And so those networks just automatically reinforce each other. And so we don't do anything special to get more than 3,000 deals a year. And in fact, what happens almost every week is that someone will reach out to one of us on the Cape Or Capital Investment Team and say, my deal is oversubscribed, but I want you in. I want Cape Or Capital in because of your values. I want somebody on my cap table who shares my vision. I'm worried about having too many investors who are greed only. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about why you think there has been such a lack of inclusivity in Silicon Valley. It's not that hard, as you just said a few minutes ago. And people say all the time, you cannot manage what you don't measure. And this is clearly something that's easy to measure. Mm -hmm. So why is it so hard? Silicon Valley has a deep-seated arrogance and elitism problem. Most people in the Silicon Valley tech ecosystem that I've run into really in their heart of hearts believe that the institutions are meritocracies. And by definition, that means that they're the best and the brightest. If you believe that self-serving nonsense, then you believe that if there's no diversity in your circles, it's because whoever's outside isn't good enough. And it's an incredibly dangerous and inaccurate belief system. I could not agree more that if you believe that, uh, then you are apt to leave people out without considering the fact that you haven't had exposure to them, you haven't made outreach to them, that you could, in fact, be wrong, right? Exactly. So I, I do think, and I tell people all the time, there is no system that I have found that is a meritocracy because there's a human element of evaluation. And if there's a human element, by definition, there's going to be a measure of subjectivity. So if there's That's any right. ounce, any ounce of subjectivity then it cannot be 100% meritocratic. Exactly. So I think we need to measure distance traveled, not credentials, not pedigrees. We need to see where people have traveled on their own steam, mm -hmm. uh, not what accidents of birth and, and unfair advantages mm -hmm. they were given. I heard you say that one of the most important criteria, investing criteria for a K-Port Capital is to look at entrepreneurs that have actually lived the solution. So you're looking for people that have real experiential capital as founders of the company that they're hoping to, to run exactly. over time. So uh, one of our companies 
comes up with services for the incarcerated and their family. It's radically reduced the price of phone calls to and from prison. Prison is this outrageous, predatory uh, monopoly of phone calls. And sometimes they're 3 and $4 a minute still in this day and age when there's no excuse other than corruption. So Frederick Hudson started Pigeonly to change that and figured out a technological uh, wraparound. Partly it occurred to him because he was a fabulous entrepreneur. He was such a great entrepreneur. He was the logistics guy for all the marijuana dealers in his neighborhood. <laughs> and he was just ahead of his time. Right. He so he served some time in federal prison and figured out that lived experience and the phone calls and understanding that the recidivism rate is directly related Mm -hmm. to whether or not inmates have access to their families and communities. So if you price that out of possibility, you are hurting the prisoner, you are hurting their family, you're hurting the community, you're hurting the society because you are increasing the recidivism rate. Yes, yes. You could lock all of those white guys in Silicon Valley, Sand Hill Road, venture capital firms, you could lock them all in a conference room for a year, which is an interesting idea. And (laughs) and they would never come up with Pigeonly. They would never come up with most of the companies in our portfolio. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the recurring challenges, because I want a playbook moment, if I can, for the entrepreneurs that are listening. Great. So what would you say to entrepreneurs around how they should position themselves or what challenges do you still see, uh, even among those entrepreneurs that have been successful in raising that Series A, but they're still having a, a pretty tough road to get to the Series B and beyond? What challenges do you still see, even with some of your portfolio companies? Well, Our portfolio companies, since the majority of our entrepreneurs are underrepresented as entrepreneurs, and and that means African-American, Latinx, or women from any background. So that's the majority of our portfolio. We still see that they face all kinds of biases. Uh, And we like to be a safe place for them to come back and to vent and to express their concern about, you'll never believe the question that got asked of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And we still hear things that are completely about um, insulting stereotypes being said to entrepreneurs all the time. So one thing is to prepare our entrepreneurs that you're going to face that. Um, And as many of them have heard their whole lives, you have to be twice as good to go half as far. And that is what underrepresented people of color in this country grow up hearing and unfortunately still experiencing. And as a successful entrepreneur, it's there. What we find is that entrepreneurs of color, especially more so than white women, have to prove themselves before they get the investment, whereas it's much more likely um, that a Caucasian and sometimes Asian male will get invested in on potential. And so they have to hit their metrics before they get the money Mm -hmm. rather than somebody's going to take a risk on them and help them do that. Mm -hmm. So we're often first money in. And it has now, as you suggest, it has signaling value. Yes that we believe in this entrepreneur, in this business model, and we're going to help them succeed. 
So let's talk about uh, the entrepreneur and the other things that they have to do. You've talked a little bit about their challenges, but uh, you have also instituted something, again, uh, as you are a leader in this space in 2015, having all of your entrepreneurs sign the Give Pledge. And that is a condition to receiving KPR capital money. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the Give Pledge is? Indeed. So it's our founder's commitment. And since January of 2016, it has, as you suggest, been a condition of investment. We did not impose it retroactively. We didn't think that was fair. But much to our surprise, when we announced it as the founder's commitment and GIVE is the acronym of, of the things that we want our entrepreneurs to do. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But to, much to our surprise, the overwhelming majority of companies already in our portfolio said, can we sign it too? Wow. And that was incredibly heartening. And so we don't prescribe, we don't assign you have to do X. What we ask is our founders to make a commitment to building an inclusive culture and to building a diverse team. And that team and that culture need to fit their business, which makes total business sense. It is a smart business step to have your employees reflect your customers because you'll better understand them and you'll better serve them. So, Frida, what do you say to investors who say, I am not comfortable with investing in things that I am unfamiliar with. So how do I get comfortable with markets that I'm unfamiliar with? And this is another playbook point, because to your point earlier, if you haven't been trafficking in some way in this ecosystem, then... And I buy your argument that this is a fertile ground for mm -hmm. great investment opportunities, but yet I don't know anything about it. How, what do I do? How do I get myself in the space? Well, come get involved with our SMASH program. Come mentor. Come speak at a, a networking night or a speaker series. SMASH is our Summer Math and Science Honors Academy. You will find that you can build empathy with kids who are much different than you, and you will be blown away at how much they've accomplished having a hundred times more unfair barriers in their path than most venture capitalists ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And let me give you an example. One of our first smash hackathons several years ago in Oakland, young, uh, both middle school and high school kids of color, and we brought them together all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and we said, oh, put them in teams, standard hackathon protocol, and we said, come up with an app that solves a real problem in your school or your community. And they came up with amazing stuff. So one team actually marched themselves down to the police station in Oakland and uh, figured out how they could get real crime data and layer that on top of GPS. And why did they want to do this? So they could walk home from school safely and not get caught in gang violence. So the app would tell them where there was a lot of police activity. So the same way Waze will tell you there's a lot of traffic over here, go this yes. uh, this this new direction, this app would say, up, oh, a lot of police activity, a lot of police guarding, something going on, so you should take this route home. Yes, it would tell you how to walk home safely. So if anyone listening has never thought about getting caught in gang violence walking home from 
middle school or high school or never worried about your children doing that, that tells you right there you've had some unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. And you will benefit from putting yourself in a conversation with kids for whom that's their daily life and they can come up with technology to solve it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think you all have been so adept at doing is providing what I call the three C's, the capital the content, and the connection. And you provide access to capital for women and people of color and tech. And one of the things that you have at the center of this is the KPOR Center for Social Impact. And the thing that I love about that, as you and I were talking about before, those who don't get it, hug the data. And you all are putting the data out there so that there's real, hard, analytical, researched evidence around the opportunities that exist in the investment community among multicultural people, multicultural entrepreneurs, and for women. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the KPOR Center for Social Impact, the kind of research that you all distribute, and talk a little bit in specific about the leaky pipeline? I'd be delighted to. So Dr. Allison Scott is our chief research officer, and she's done several groundbreaking studies. And that's a one key part of the KPOR Center for Social Impact. So most recently, uh, she put out a uh, report on women and girls of color in computing. So looking at who does and does not have access to computer science education and to therefore the careers uh, and the well-paying jobs that that computer science education opens up. A few years ago, they, uh, her team did a report for California called Path Not Found, looking at where computer science is and is not taught in public schools. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You can do a direct correlation. The lower income the school, the more black and brown the school, the less likely it is to offer computer science. It is completely about income and about uh, race, not about where tax dollars ought to be going. So we also did a tech lever study on who leaves tech and why. What drives especially engineers and underrepresented engineers out the door? What turns that into a revolving door? And on the positive side, what can help it? Which of the many diversity and inclusion initiatives actually work? So that's the kind of uh, research that we do. It's all on the KPOR Center for Social Impact website. It's all downloadable for free. Every piece of research has practical recommendations in it. Mm-hmm. So that's a key piece. The KPOR Center also has a community engagement arm. We run something in our building in Oakland the first Friday of every month is programming for first-time underrepresented entrepreneurs. We've started something called the Oakland Startup Network. We pioneered Latinx uh, startup weekends. We are holding Latinx summits uh, in tech in 10 cities this year, starting next month. Uh, So there's many, many initiatives that we do, Mm -hmm. and we would um, welcome anybody wanting to partner with us in, in other cities. Wow. So, Frida, can you go into a little bit more detail around this leaky pipeline concept? Certainly. And it came together from all of the activities that we were doing, whether it was education programs or philanthropy or community engagement or investing. So we've got a Leaky Tech Pipeline website. You can go look it up. Uh, And it 
contains all of the major research that's been done that identifies biases and barriers all along the way, uh, starting with pre-K. Uh, to the kinds of messages that kids are given. So there was a study at Yale that was done about when black boys and white boys who are in preschool exhibit identical behavior, it's labeled entirely differently. And so you can see that through all the way through K-12, the messages that teachers give, whether it's low expectations or whether it's high expectations. Uh, it's the access to computer science, as we talked about. It's the access to role models. It's the access to internships. It's the access to college counseling, to SAT prep. It goes on and on and on that then puts you on one path or another where tech is a possibility, Venture capital is a possibility, or it is absolutely a foreign world, and you don't know anyone there. So we've got these three organizations that work to both identify leaks in the pipeline and to plug them. So we've got SMASH, our Summer Math and Science Honors Academy. That is for high school kids. We then work with them through SMASH Rising, which is internships while they're in college. And that includes our tech companies. Some of the Cape or Capital companies, they come speak at SMASH during the summer. They come to networking nights. They come tell their own stories. They hire the kids during college or after college. So it all fits together in our own activities, but also in in illuminating and plugging the leaks. Outstanding. Outstanding. So Frida, I have to ask the question, if I were a cynic, and I'm not, if what you're doing is so great and you're making so much money at it, why aren't other people jumping in? I think it's back to what we talked about. I think that there are many people who just live in their own bubble. They don't know how to get connected to other communities, even if they want to. And many people have some residual bias about, well, if there are so many talented entrepreneurs, how come I don't know them? How come they haven't come through the ranks as the exceptions? Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit of the arrogance that you referred to earlier. Exactly. If they were that good, I would know them by now. Right. When we, right. we all know that's not necessarily the case. Well, exactly. Exactly. And so if you think that in Silicon Valley and tech companies, we hear often, go hire an engineer that went to Stanford and worked at Google. And I jump up and down and say, those aren't skills. Those are pedigrees. Those are symbols of unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. And if you equate that with merit or talent, you are missing the vast majority of the talent that's out there. Fair point. And every VC could name five deals that they missed. Exactly. So so you have to be able to say that there are clearly some things out there that I'm missing. So it can't be that if they were so great, I would know them by now Mm because everybody can talk about five deals they missed. I also think on on that one, I mean, we often, Mitch and I often get asked about why do we do what we do um, with the implication, well, you know, you're white people, why are you doing this? Um, And one of the things I often say is the question really ought to be for those who have had unfair advantage, why doesn't everybody do this? Why doesn't everybody with our resources think about, well, I was given the benefit of the doubt. Others 
are doubted. And don't I have a responsibility, since I got the benefit of the doubt, to turn around and give others an opportunity? Our tradition on access and opportunity is to do a lightning round. So we'll ask these questions in rapid fire, and I want you to answer in three words or fewer. Favorite thing about Silicon Valley? Getting out of it. Favorite book or magazine? Oh, I just started reading Congresswoman Barbara Lee's autobiography, and she's my congresswoman. Okay. City or the countryside? Martha's Vineyard. I thought that was going to be your answer. I was thinking that might be a tough one for you. Winter or summer? Summer. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Text or talking? Text. Last thing you downloaded? Women and Girls of Color data brief. Okay. Favorite vacation destination? Martha's Vineyard. If you had a talk show, who would you want to be your first guest? You. Oh, thank you. I'll take that. What's one word that you'd like to use to describe your legacy? Gap closing. It's hyphenated. So does that count? That's one word, honey. That's one (laughs) word. (laughs) Frida, thank you. This has been so much fun. I wish we could go on. We might need to do a a part two for our listeners. This has been great. That would be fabulous. I had a wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us for an exciting first season of Access and Opportunity. I'm Carla Harris, and we'll see you soon for season two.